Uh, good evening. Um, we're, we're thankful for all those who are actually here with us uh, here in the building. We're thankful for all those who are joining us um, uh, via Zoom and various uh, streaming outlets. We appreciate you being here with us. First uh, Peter chapter one, verse number 17. Peter wrote this. He says that if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, he said, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. You think about that passage and you realize that man's whole life here on earth is a sojourning. And while you are passing through, especially because you only get one opportunity, you're only going to pass this way one time. And you might as well get it right. And as you're passing through, there are some things that you should not be without. There is some knowledge that you should acquire while you are passing through this one time. And you would recognize that spiritual knowledge is the greatest knowledge. It is the greatest knowledge that you can have as you pass through this life. If one were to understand Paul properly as he talked about love in that great chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if you would appreciate that, just imagine someone passing through this life without love. And I'm not talking about as man defines love, I'm talking about biblical love, the kind that's defined for us in scripture. Where Paul says when he compares love and faith and hope, he says that Love is the greatest of the three. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, in verse number 13, he says, and now abided faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. You think about that. Paul says that love is greater than faith and hope. And if society was penetrated with love, it would cure all societal ills. It is the one thing that can repress malice hatred and envy. The one thing that can cultivate pity, gentleness, and selflessness. The one thing that can promote generosity, caring, and sharing. Paul said even if one was to have all of the spiritual gifts, as he had named them nine spiritual gifts, Paul says even if one was to have all of those spiritual gifts, and if even he could speak with the tongues of angels and he did not have love, he said it would be useless. One would miss out on the greatest principle, the greatest grace, the greatest attribute, the greatest divine quality if one was to pass through this life without this love. You see, the Bible declares that God is not faith, not hope, but God is love. First John chapter four and verse number eight. And if you were to pass through this life and you pass through without this great principle, my friend, you've missed it all. You've missed it all. As people used to say, you don't even know what you're missing. And I got to thinking about some other things that maybe there is as you pass through this life, there are some things that you are missing. And I want you to appreciate something if you are a Christian. You see, if you are a Christian, and when I say Christian, I don't mean 
Christianity in the sense of the world's use of the word. I don't mean those who consider themselves to be Christians and come under the umbrella of Christianity. I'm talking about those who respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when they respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, doing those things that God requires, then they obey that gospel and become Christians and are added to the church of Christ that Jesus died to bring into existence. I'm talking about those kind of Christians. If you are that type of Christian, the kind that you find on the pages of inspiration, then my friends, you are able to live with the greatest things in life as they are presented to us in scripture. That's what we're talking about tonight, the greatest things in life. However, if you are not a Christian, then my friends, you're missing out. You're missing out. Let me tell you what some of the greatest things in life, I'll present a couple of these for you tonight. First of all, if you are a Christian, you are living, my friend, with the greatest objective. The greatest objective that one could have in this life. You might ask, what is the greatest objective? I'm glad you asked that question because that gives me a chance to answer it. You know what the greatest objective is in this life? The greatest objective that one can have in this life is to glorify God. That, my friend, is the greatest objective. I would not want to have lived in this life and left off the greatest objective. I would not have wanted to, wanted to lose the greatest purpose, the greatest aim. My friend, the greatest objective is to glorify God. Consider what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 31. He said, whether therefore we eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, he says, do all to the glory of God. Whatever one does should be done with keeping the honor of the Lord in view. You think about this verse in context. So think about this. If one wants to set food and drink before you, Paul would say, do not ask questions for conscience sake. However, if you were informed that that meat that was set before you was offered in service to an idol, Paul says, do not eat. Why? For conscience sake. But not for your conscience sake, but for the conscience of others. See, in other words, all we do should be done and, and should be aimed at the glory of God. Therefore, we should not do anything that would cause others to stumble, whether they are unbelieving Jews or whether they are unbelieving Gentiles or whether they are weak brethren. We ought not to do anything that would cause them to stumble. You see, when people do not live with this objective, they offend and arouse prejudice against the Lord's cause. Paul said his purpose was not to excite them into a passion of opposition, but all things were aimed at their salvation. In fact, Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He's reiterating what he stated in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 20 beginning, where Paul says that unto the Jews became I as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, he says, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under law. To them that are without law, he said, as without law. I live as without law, being not without law to God, for Paul understood that he was under law to Christ. He said, the reason I did it is that I might gain them who are without law. He says, to the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. What's his purpose? That 
I might be all things to all men, that I might by all means gain some. Paul's whole point is he was not going to do anything that was going to cause others to stumble. He was going to utilize his talents, his gifts, his abilities in whatever way he could for the purpose of saving souls and glorifying God. You consider Philippians chapter 2 and verse 11 and notice what Paul says there. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. The word should confess is the Greek word examalagepo. And it means to acknowledge by implication of assent, agree fully, confess, profess, or promise. If you are going to live in this life with the purpose of glorifying God, then my friends, you ought to stand in agreement with God concerning his son. He is Jesus. That means, my friends, he is the Savior. He is Christ. That means he is the anointed one, the long-awaited and anticipated Messiah. He is Lord. That means he is owner. He is ruler. That means he is sovereign. And my friends, anyone who lives in this life, and if their objective is to glorify God, then my friends, they must honor his son. Jesus knew that it is best, it would be best that all men honor him. In fact, in John chapter 5, verse 23, Jesus said that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honored the Son, or rather, he that honored not the Son, honored not the Father which sent him. You see, my friends, we need to honor the Lord, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, because let me tell you something, he is the maker, he is the upholder, he is the redeemer, he is the savior, he is the governor, he is the judge of the world. And God, Jesus says in John 5, 22, one verse prior to that, Jesus says that the father judges no man, but has committed all judgment to the son. Jesus is going to judge the world. And it is the same message that Paul gave the Areopagus on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17. As they had all of these, uh, they had all of these inscriptions and all of these gods and all, they, they were polytheists and, and, and they had a God for everything, if you will. And Paul said they were too superstitious or too religious, super religious people. And yet they were doing all of this ignorantly. They thought they were really wise individuals, but the thing they left out was the honor and glory of the God of heaven, the one God. And Paul said, that's the one I need to declare to you. And the one thing he declared to them when you get to the end of the situation is that Paul says, and the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commanded all men everywhere to repent. And notice this, for he had an appointed a day in which he would judge the world in righteousness by the man who had no day, in that he given assurance unto all men and that he raised him from the dead. Paul says he is going to judge the world by Jesus the Christ. My friends, it behooves us to glorify God and to honor his son. The greatest objective that one can have in this life is to glorify God. You realize, my friends, that if you live in this life without that objective, you missed out on the greatest objective one could have in this life. In fact, Jesus says this to his disciples in Matthew 5 and verse number 16. 
He says that the reason they were to let their light shine was to glorify God. He said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. In fact, let me back up to verse number 13 where Jesus said, ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? He said, it is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. My friends, you and I cannot afford to run into our church building and hide our light. The light needs to be shining out there in the world. And so we don't put it under a bushel. The only time some people know how to act is when they're with other people that know how to act. We need to be out there where people don't know how to act and we need to shine the light so that they can, we can reflect the light of Jesus Christ and bring them to Jesus. So he says, ye are the light of the world. Ye are the ones who are set up on the hill. And we do not put our light under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light to all that are in the house. So let your light so shine before men that they may see your good work. Glorify your Father which is in heaven. You know, what's interesting about that is some people say they don't care what anyone thinks about them. You may have heard that statement a time or two. I don't care what anybody thinks about me. Some say, I don't care how anyone feels about me. Some have resigned that that's just the way I am. Accept me for me. Accept me for who I am. Maybe you've heard these kind of statements before. Maybe you've heard people talk like this. But let me ask you a question. Has it ever occurred to you that it may not be in your best interest for people to accept you the way you are. Just let that sink in for a moment. So let me ask it again. Has it ever occurred to you that it may not be in your best interest for people to accept you the way you are? Why do I say that? Because, my friends, you may need to change. You may need to amend your ways. You may be crooked and need to be straightened up. You may be dirty and need to be cleaned. And you see, the gospel, Jesus Christ, can do that for us. You see, something crooked can be made straight when we're talking about the gospel. Something clean, something dirty can be made clean when we're talking about the gospel. A sinner can go from a sinner and become a saint when we're talking about the gospel. It may not be in your best interest for people to just accept you the way you are, but to present to you the means by which you can change. Present to you the means by which you can become better. Present to you the means by which you can become righteous. And holy. People have proven to change much for their own glory, but precious little for the glory of God. Oh, I tell you, my friends, we understand change. We'll change everything when it comes to our glory. Change your hair. We'll change our fashion. We'll change our appearance. We'll change our location. We'll change our occupation. Oh, we'll change any and everything. We understand change very well when it comes to our glory. But for things that glorify God, 
Those things that need to be changed, those things that speaks to that which, which is on the inside, that inner man. When we start talking about the attitude, oh, my friends, now folks don't want to change. When we start talking about the mind, the will, the heart, the lifestyle, the aim, the very purpose for which you live, my friends, that's what we're talking about. Those things seek to glorify God, and that's when people say, just accept me the way I am. Why? Because you don't want to change your attitude. Accept me the way I am because you don't want to change your mind. And now the world has it set up so that you can't even hardly talk to people about changing anymore. We live in a judge-free zone so people don't even want you talking to them about change. We don't want people to change our minds about anything. Now people have certain lifestyles. They don't want you to talk to them about those lifestyles. They want us to accept everyone just the way they are. Accept them for who they are. My friends, it's not in your best interest that we do that because the gospel seeks to change you. If you want to glorify God, my friends, you must change. You must, willing to be, you must be willing to change. The man to whom Jesus spoke these words couldn't have this attitude. You see, their aim was to glorify God and Jesus says, and let your light so shine before men that means, my friends, that the way the Lord found Peter, he couldn't stay that way. That means how the Lord found those men, he taught those men, he was with those men, he encouraged those men, he changed those men. They could not stay the way they were. You know, some folks say, well, Brother Dismick, I thought we could come as we are. Yes, you can come as you are, but you can't stay the way you are. Come as you are, but don't stay as you are. No, you have to change. If your objective is to glorify God. Oh, those men had to learn enough way. Those men had to learn how to live with a different heart and a different mindset. They had to have a different aim and a different purpose. They now were seeking to glorify God and not themselves. My friends, when you find the greatest objective, objective for which to live in this life, there will be much change. Now the works you do are with the intent to shine a light on Christ to the glory of God. Why would you live in this life and miss out on the greatest objective? Get to the very end of your life and you miss it. What was the greatest objective? You should have lived in this life with the objective of glorifying God. But you missed it. My friends, if you're listening to my voice, that means it's not too late for you to understand that you have the opportunity to live in this life with the greatest objective. Many folks are living with many objectives but you need to find the greatest one. Seek the glory of God. And you'll be living with the greatest objective. But not only that, my friends, if you are a Christian, then you can live in this life with the greatest privilege. What is the greatest privilege in this life? The greatest privilege is being a child of God. That's the greatest privilege. Oh, my friends, I want to get to the end of this life, and I want to appreciate the fact that I have lived in this life, but I come to the end of it having had the greatest privilege by which to live.
The greatest privilege is being a, a child of God. Listen to what John revealed. First of all, in his gospel, in John chapter 1 and verse number 12, John said, but as many as received him, to them he gave power. That is the Greek word exousia. That means the privilege, the right, the capacity, the force to become the sons of God, even those who believe in his name. John says he gave them the privilege. And what a privilege it is. Listen to John in his epistle in 1 John 3 and verse number 1, where John says, Behold, what manner of love hath the Father bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. What a magnificent, magnificent display of love that we are adopted as God's children. And you know all the Godhead agree. The Father, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 18, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, said the Lord Almighty. The Son, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 11, for both he that sanctifieth and he who is sanctified are all one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Here Jesus is infinitely higher than the angels, infinitely higher than man, yet became incarnate and is not ashamed to acknowledge all faithful followers, his brethren. You see, God makes sons of men, sons of God, because God made the son of God, the son of man. That's how it happened. Jesus acknowledges that we are his brethren, sons of God. The Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 8, verse number 16, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. All the Godhead agree. That we are sons of God, that we get an opportunity to live in this life with the greatest privilege. Paul says that we become this by faith when we are baptized into Christ. As he wrote to the Galatian brethren in chapter 3 and verse 26, he said, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, but you're all one in Christ. And if you be Christ, then you Abraham sees the heirs according to the promise. He says, by faith. Paul is talking about the great system of faith, the gospel system of faith. And our response to it, then we become the sons of God. We are baptized into Christ and we become God's children when we respond to the great gospel system of faith. The greatest privilege is to live in this life as a child of God. And there are great benefits to this privilege. You know, when you are a child of God, you have access to the Father. 
In fact, Jesus taught his disciples to pray in that model prayer of Matthew chapter 6. And what he told them is he introduced to them a way to address God. He says, and say, our Father, which art in heaven. They could actually go to their Father. Why? Because they were children of God. We can go to our Father and we can ask whatever we want. And the Father will give us those things. In fact, John writes that we can ask, but we ought to ask according to his will, 1 John 5, 14, 15. He says that this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that if he hears us, that we have the petition that we ask of him. Whatever we desire, we know that we have the petition. You think about that, my friends. He says, ask according to his will. This is not a Christmas wish list as if you are asking Santa Claus for all the things that you want. No, this is about being able to appreciate that God is our father and he requires that we live in the world a certain way and that we bring glory to him and honor his son and live as his children shining our light in the world so that we can draw others to the great light that is Jesus the Christ. And in the meantime, while we're sojourning through this life, we can ask him and make petitions of him and as we know his will and pray accordingly, he'll give us what we need. He'll give us what we need. Well, what is his will? Well, that's my friends, is what we need to learn. You think about what Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 2. When Paul said in verse 1, I exhort therefore the supplication, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all that are in authority, that we might lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty, which is good and acceptable unto God. Who is the Savior of all men? Who would have all men be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth? For there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a rest and all be testified in due time. Where I'm made a preacher and apostle, a teacher of truth in Christ, I like not. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in verity. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. In like manner also women adorn themselves in modest apparel. With shame, faithfulness, and sobriety, not with gray hair, gold, pearls, or costly array, but which become the women professing godliness with all good works. Let the women learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach, nor suffer authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first born, then even Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she should be saved in childbearing, she continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. I'm sorry, I read through that so quickly, but I'm up to the end. Listen. If you look at that passage, first of all, we're talking about the greatest privilege. Isn't the privilege to be a child of God? Even when it comes to the roles that God has provided for us, because we are children of God and we are privileged to be so, then we will be content with the roles that God has provided. And we know according to his will that he wants us to pray for those who are in authority because he wants us to be able to live that quiet and peaceful life. We can pray about it. He wants us to pray for all men. The first three times that word being is used, it was anthropos. And the fourth time it was used, it was Amir. And that was males who are lifting up holy hands and praying without wrath and without doubting. And so males ought to lead in that effort. And women ought to be in subjection to the male leadership. 
In other words, my friends, we are privileged to be sons of God and we are content with what God has provided. And his will is that he will have all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. My friends, we can pray within that will and God will answer. He will give us what is in our best interest when we pray according to his will. It may not come the way you believe it may come. It may not come according to your wisdom, but God will answer. in the way that is best. We can have an inheritance because of this privilege. Again, Romans 8, 16, 17, the spirit bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. When you are a child of God, my friends, you are enjoying the greatest privilege which deity can bestow this side of eternity. Oh, I saw the commercials long ago when you see the snow-capped mountains in the back and you see the men with the fire going and the horse the horses and you see that scene and it's a it's a bush commercial bush beer commercial and they got the beans they got the fire and, and they're, they're sitting there and they're having their beer and then at some point they say it doesn't get any better than this well I'm here to tell you it gets a lot better than that but when you are a New Testament Christian living with the greatest objective and your objective is to glorify God you found it my friends Living with the greatest privilege to be called a son of God. Then, my friends, you found it. But if you are not a New Testament Christian, you've missed it. And you're missing out. Don't get to the end of your life and realize that you left off some of the greatest things in this life. You could have found the number one objective. You could have lived with the number one privilege. Don't get to your life and find out that you missed it. Now we can help you. It starts with your understanding of who Jesus is and recognizing him for who he is appreciating what he did, submitting himself then to his will. You want to honor God, honor the Son. Some folks are trying to have God, the Father, without the Son. That's a tragic mistake. If you want the Father, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father but by me. Believe in him, the Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Repent of the sins that sent him to the cross, because he died for you and for me. Confess him with the mouth unto salvation, Romans 10, 9 and 10. And then be immersed in water for the remission of your sins, Acts 2, 38. So your sins can be washed away, Acts 22, 16. So that Jesus can wash you from your sins in his blood. 
Revelation 1 5. So that you can die to the love and practice the sin being buried with him in the watery grave, Romans 6 3 and 4. So you can be saved, 1 Peter 3 21. And then be faithful, do the best you can to live for him. The greatest objective with the greatest privilege. And when this life is over, receive the inheritance that's been promised. Thank you so much for your wonderful and kind attention.